everyone it's uh it's a, a ryan and tom episode um it's uh it's going well ryan how are you how are you buddy doing good man uh, feeling good it's yeah. mother's day i drank a lot of beers today i'm uh, drinking beer too celebrated yeah mm. with my mom she doesn't drink much but she wanted to go to a brewery i think that was mainly for a, a kids thing so you partied with her that's awesome hell we yeah party. we got rowdy we, we did how's your how's your, how's your weekend so, oh uh, dude I've been uh, hung out with the boys last night. Yeah, we uh, hung out with the boys. Um, I um, um, have been uh, I have been locking myself in my room and writing part two to 1982. It is uh... so. This is gonna be like when like oh. Tim Burton was supposed to make the Superman movie and it just never got done. Like that's what's what's going to happen with the it's, 1982 uh... episode. I'm at about 10,000 words. It's over an hour long. We're going to part two is going to be probably, n it might be two fucking hours. <laughs> and it's only because I picked up a, a biography on Marvin Miller. And uh, all I know is, is that I miss my calling in life by not being a union boss is all it is. And I, you know, I, read this entire biography in about the course of two days i have a bunch of other sources i've been going and right now i'm just doing the mop-up work with it so you know I read all my primary and secondary sources uh now it's you know onto the newspapers and newspaper.com every in single town. day obviously yeah. i know who this person is for the yeah. audience could you explain who folks marvin miller, is? marvin miller is the reason why the the game of baseball is honestly the modern game of baseball is so good and so perfect and pure nothing should ever change marvin miller took over as um he mlb uh players union started in the 50s but it was a company's union basically kind of designed to keep tabs on pensions marvin miller who was a chief economic advisor and negotiator with united Steelworkers for about 16 years wanted to go off and do his own thing so uh, Jim Bunning, Robin Roberts, and Harry Kuhn asked him to come in and interview for the job. He got lucky. He got it. And for the next 16 years of his tenure, um, he went to war with the owners and basically won, you know, he won them emancipation when it comes to free agency. He won them arbitration rights. He raised the minimum salary from $6,000 to, I think, by the time he left, um, Oh shit, I forgot. Uh I'm at like forty-five thousand. I know it was much higher than that. Um, but he is integral to what we have with baseball today. And you know, it's a damn shame that it took so long for him to get put into the baseball hall of fame and he finally got put in, obviously posthumously. But he is um he is a pioneer. He is key to what we have uh in terms of the game. He is a he is uh i almost said pioneer again my brain's not working he is um uh is uh an embodiment of um he built arguably the strongest labor union during his time the a labor union that survived the malaise of the 70s that survived the early days of uh of existing in ronald reagan land and honestly with what Tony Clark's doing. It's a labor union that while it's definitely not perfect is still going strong today. That's Marvin Miller guys. And that's ex that's it's exactly 45 more fucking minutes of him in 1982 part two. So that's what I've been doing. Just yeah. writing nonstop folks. 
we've been gabbing too long. We have ourselves a special guest tonight to talk about the state of the Cardinals and just vibe and shoot the shit with guys. You've heard of him. And if you haven't heard of him, you're going to hear of him. And you're going to go read his stuff once you get done listening to this. It is John Fleming, everyone. John, how are you doing? I'm doing quite all right. Uh, it's currently. Oh, hold on. You cut out a minute there, guy. Oh, no. John, you cut out. Can you hear us? Uh-oh. Oh, Ryan, quick, do a dance. Absolute hell. Do a dance, Ryan. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Um, we here at the Worst Fans Pod. Um, really Hi. appreciate you tuning in this week. You there, John? John, John, sorry you cut out. Let me turn off, like, you know, let me turn off my video. Maybe it helps us here. Can you hear us? I can. Uh, sometimes the internet works a little better if I go downstairs. Might make more of a possibility of the yeah. dog interrupting, but I'll... Uh... I'll try to make that sacrifice. No, we like. I have a cat. Dogs. Ryan has a dog. We're all, <laughs> all right. you know, we're all allies here when it comes to furry pets. John, Mister Mister John Fleming, would you would you like to do that wonderful introduction again for uh, for everyone out there? We um, we got the first part, which is um, Trump twenty twenty four. So we're kind of genuinely curious about that. So. Well, I'm trying to hedge my bets a little <laughs> bit with the uh, with the choices. There's I'm not, I'm not sure if he's quite conservative <laughs> enough for me, so might be a might be a little tough for me. Ah, yes, that way. No, yeah, you and I. I got that vibe when I was reading. Uh, was when I was reading uh, uh, STL bullpen. Uh, I noticed you had a very, very pro DeSantis, and definitely uh, there was this other interesting article I saw you write about called "The Rush of Life: Why Drunk Driving Made Me a Better Person." So you're definitely a controversial guy out there. yeah I, I try not to um you know as they say stick to sports so obviously <laughs> I, I managed with that i you know there's one thing clearly lacking out there is a drunk driving proponent <laughs> i feel like it's important to no. uh, participate in free speech dialogue <laughs> yes definitely uh you know elon musk has made us freer somehow no, um, he doesn't, folks. John's not. John's not an insane person. He doesn't hate people. Um, um, one I do notice though, you do share kind of a lot of stances. We have uh, one of which I noticed was uh, you find Trevor Bauer to be appalling. I'm not sure that that's necessarily the most um, niche stance that I have, but that, that is one <laughs> yeah. I have. Yes. Uh, well, when you wrote it, you wrote. Uh, if you read, if you read Twitter comments. Yeah. Um, to be fair, the the longer the season kind of waged on, the more that uh, uh, the the pro Trevor Bauer crowd seemed to be kind of infesting more and more of Cardinals Twitter. It felt like. Um, but uh, another one that kind of enjoyed. Um, obviously, uh, you made fun of Goldie and Nolan for not getting the shot, but uh, I found your top catching um suggestions and um hey you know uh very pro wilson Contreras, good article there very pro like sean murphy john how's uh how do you feel uh what do you feel about wilson's season so far man uh it's kind of hard to say because i can judge based off of what i've seen i can judge based off of what the numbers say 
They seem to suggest that he's doing pretty well. He's not an amazing defensive player, but he's capable to the extent, you know, he's good enough defensively. Um, the yeah. the verdict from the team seems to be uh, quite different from that, even if they're starting to backtrack a little bit starting tomorrow when we were, we're recording on Sunday. But uh, starting on Monday, apparently uh, things have changed. Not entirely sure what's going on there. I find it all very confusing. Um, you know, to to paraphrase Darren Ravel, I feel bad for this team, but this is tremendous content. Yeah, it's um, I, I don't know if you feel this way around about it, Ryan. I feel like they're fucking with us. I feel like they're hiding something from us. Like uh, it's gonna come I've... out. Like they found a dead body in an Arby's freezer like a, a week or two ago. And I don't know how it's gonna get connected to the DeWitts, but it is. But like we have gone from like. Wilson is our catcher. He's going to be our primary catcher to, all right, well, now we're considering, you know, he's going to kind of learn how we operate things here and be a DH and a corner outfielder to he's chomping at the bit. And according to Ollie, the vibes with his body language are so tight. I got to get him out there behind the plate with Jack Flaherty, who it's been rumored is definitely been uh, one of his strongest opponents to, uh, um, to to his uh, p- uh pitch calling up to this point it isn't the, guys this is we're not even through may what the fuck is going on <laughs> it's we're not been we're, we're barely over 40 games in and we have catching drama that's like almost never ending and i'm a huge wilson Contreras proponent um he's got to catch to me i think every day because we got to get time for Nolan Gorman's bet to be in the lineup every day, whether it's obviously in the middle infield or in the DH spot. But Ryan, what do you, what do you got? Or, you know, I think he's start. He's going to catch Monday because uh, he found some of that Space Jam, Michael Jordan juice. Uh, he took it, yeah. and now he has the confidence, <laughs> confidence to play. That's the only explanation that I can think of. Um, as to why they would change their change their minds like this. No, I don't. I, we've talked about this ad nauseum last week too. There's he is the player who we thought we were going to get. I don't know if Bernard knew who he was, but he's exactly who I thought he was. He's a great bat and an average defender. Like that's what, and that's what he's been. Um, I didn't. He's hitting very well. He should be in the lineup and he yeah. should be catching too. It's the pitcher's fault for making pitches. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, just think it's been a stupid, stupid saga. Dumb saga to start the season. Saga. This dumb... has been a, a stupid season. It's just, uh, you, you know, I we haven't had like, um, we've been so used to like Cardinals chaos in terms of like just the devil rearing its, uh, I don't think it's an ugly head. I think it's a beautiful head to come and just torment uh, September and, and, and a little bit of October, but September and August baseball. Um I think the bill has come due, and I think we're just kind of paying it a little, a little early on here with how everything's gone the first two months. But um, my my man, my man Wilson Contreras, guys, you know, a raw deal, a raw deal indeed. Um, John, I mean, I don't know. It, we're probably around the same age. Uh, I, I I would assume. Um, I cannot remember anything being this dysfunctional in my lifetime. Do you? When it comes to this team. I can't remember anything specifically. I think probably the closest comp, and it would have been a little bit before I started following the 
Cardinals would be like the Royce Clayton, Ozzy Smith fiasco in 1996. Yeah. But, yeah. but the thing that's most confusing about the whole Wilson Contreras thing is like, I could understand it, if not agree with it, if the team had like a Martin Maldonado where it's like somebody who's not a very good hitter, but they're considered really good defensively. Like we're doing this for Andrew Kisner. And like, cause there's, Hold on, you're gonna get you're gonna get blocked on Twitter by. I'm Andrew already blocked Kisner. by Andrew Kisner oh, on Twitter. So it's... Oh, get the fuck out! <laughs> it, it, which is. Yeah. I mean, Sorry. my reaction whenever I learned this was I felt just like Ivan Herrera because I'm blocked by Andrew Kisner and I'm not totally sure why, but. <laughs> but I mean, and, and he's like, and he's had his moments over the you know last you know week or two or whatever, but like. I feel like I have a general idea of what he is and there's not really a lot of statistical evidence that suggests he's a very good defensive catcher. Like forget the lack of offense for a moment, but, and also like, even if Wilson Contreras is the absolute worst pitch caller ever, there's not really any like evidence to suggest he is, but at the same time, it's all pretty anecdotal. There wouldn't really be a stat to back that up. Like they have pitch com like pitchers. If they don't like the calls can just communicate the pitches to him. And so that's that's the thing that I find especially confusing about it, because like one of the big pluses about signing him was that the whole like throwing out runners part of the game, which would not be affected by pitch combat, wouldn't be affected by a robo zone. Like he's always been fine at that. It's been like pitch framing that he's not very good at. Like his stats have been okay this year, but I wouldn't say that he's like an elite pitch framer. But, Mm -hmm. you know, down the road, that might be something that changes where he no longer has to worry about that. But, you know, even for now, the numbers seem to bear out being like fine. And again, the alternative isn't, you know, 2022 Yadier Molina. Yadier Molina is not on the team anymore. Like that's not the thing anymore. Like it's him versus Andrew Kisner. And I can't fathom like thinking Andrew Kisner is better at this point. Yeah. I pulled catcher ERA and runs against nine. And aside from last season, Contreras has always been in the top 50 percentile in terms of pitch calling. Now, it's it's not, I would say, a, a, demonstra- a demonstrative stat, okay? Because um, it's the same way in, you know, the issues when it comes to ERA. You know, you have to take in ballpark factor, you have to take in pitching talent, you have to take in defense. But I think there's enough there to show that Contreras – is a fine enough strategist and fine enough pitch caller. Um, in terms of pitch framing, yeah, I mean, it's not only that, it's even like strike zone runs as well. But like this season, he has been just slightly below average, which is fine if you're like offsetting that with a 120 plus WRC plus. Like that's stuff that like we had the worst, I think the worst or the second worst battery last season when it came to our uh, catch, uh, catching hitting. And it's something we've harped on. Maybe maybe hopefully we go on a winning streak and we can put this to fucking bed because I'm getting, I'm getting annoyed with it. But, like, you trade the brilliant defensive mechanic – or, sorry, the brilliant defensive mind and abilities of Yadier Molina for a guy who has been arguably the best hitting catcher for the last six seasons. That's the trade you make on it. Now – you know, if the pitch calling is, you know, so bad that it offsets, you know, a two for three game with a double and a walk, then, you know, so be it. But I, I feel like his bat not only has to be in the lineup, 
every single day. I don't think Kisner's defense, which he's a fine pitch caller, but I think the other metrics of it, I don't think offset keeping him out of the lineup as much as we have. I kind of agree that I think you mentioned that he was kind of treated as like a, a, a scapegoat. Am I getting that right? That, that like the way the season has gone, that they, the Cardinals just kind of look for someone to kind of pin this on early on. Yeah. It, it kind of seems like, because he's like the most obviously different thing about the team from last year, because you know, the pitchers quite famously have remained the same from last year. And so it's just sort of treating it like it's a science experiment of like, Oh, this is the, you know, the variable that's changed and therefore this is the problem. But the thing that's confusing about making him a scapegoat, you know, even if it were all true, he's still under contract for another five years. And like, and like Jack Flaherty, say what you will about him, say what you will about what potential you think he has. He's only under contract through the end of this year. And, you know, if he does resign with the Cardinals, I, one, I don't think it would be for more than like a year as like a, like a, you know, give him another shot kind of thing. But like mm-hmm. in almost all certainty, Wilson Contreras is going to be on the Cardinals longer than anyone who's in the current starting rotation. Yes. Yes. And to go off that, John, like would any other free agents want to sign here if they're going to get blamed right away for it when the team fails? Like it's just kind of a, a bad sign from the front office. Oh like, my God. Yes. Just- Especially when, I mean, it was public with the meeting with Contreras that it was, he wants to be here. He wants to be catching every day. Now all of a sudden like reverse course within the first like 30 days is just, um, it's just silly. And like that Wayno meeting where it was just like, Hey man, let me like, you know, kind of pick your spirits up. The thing that jumped out to me was that, you know, Wayno court. I'm so happy dad's back. We need it. Dad. Thank you, dad, for coming home. Um, but like when he just says that, you know, I just wanted him to know that I'm happy he's here. And I don't think anyone's told him that up to this point. I'm like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> no one said, Hey, we, Hey man, you're making like 20 mil a year. Thank God you're here. Okay. We're so happy to have you here. It's, um, it's just been brutal for the guy and he's handled it very professionally with a lot of class. It's made me more of a Wilson Contreras stand, but, um, you know, they're they're winning now, and maybe he's not the, you know, he won't be the scapegoat for much longer. We'll all kind of chuckle about this Yeah, we win the division with an 83 and 79 mark. Yeah, I think that the craziest thing about the Contreras saga was actually what happened. I think it was the, I think it was Ken Rosenthal's piece with The Athletic uh, earlier mm-hmm. this last week, where he was talking to John Mazzella, and they were talking about Sean Murphy. And like, I wouldn't have been opposed to the Cardinals acquiring Sean Murphy either. I think he's a, a much better defensive player than Contreras and is a comparable hitter, but he was yeah. talking, but he, he was talking about how at the time they didn't want to trade Lars Newtbar and Brendan Donovan for him. And then he was kind of like walking back, like, you know, hindsight's 2020. It's like, not only are you throwing Contreras under the bus by saying Sean Murphy is materially better than him which you know might be true might not be but also why would you say that but also you're making Lars Newtbar and Brendan Donovan feel like they're expendable which doesn't seem like it's benefiting anybody yeah to like build into that more um Murphy's Murphy's tearing shit up and he's having a great season but like Murphy's value like defensively I feel like and you know to kind of to kind of point back to how Wilson navigates the strike zone. 
it's going to become way less relevant with the implementation of ABS at the major league level. And like, I, to me, I think it kind of lacks a little foresight when you make, uh, when the front office makes comments like that. I mean, Wilson's here for his offensive production. And I would assume, you know, the amount of thought they put into, you know, picking him uh, involved having the foresight that the reliance on defense is going to kind of go more by the wayside as the game progresses. You know, robo-umps, challenge system, one or the other. You won't have to worry about him, how he catches a fucking ball anymore. So why not get him that vote of confidence? I'm trying to remember the last time I suffered as a Cards fan. And I do remember growing up through the, through the 90s and... You know, I remember the late 90s to a degree. I remember the Gary Guy Eddie days, the rat. I remember Ubaldo Jimenez having his having his cold day in the sun, but simultaneously losing like 100 games. Hell, I even remember when our best pitcher was Mark Pekaisik, for Christ's sakes. Um, is, it, is there an element of truth? Because I remember like Jared Karabas bringing this up and, you know, who really cares about him? But, you know, is this fan base to a degree spoiled? Have we not really seen like any true adver- uh, adversity as a fan base in terms of our patience with this organization or sorry, not even like organization. I think we're clearly, you know, clearly have high expectations for how the front office operates, but you know, is the bill coming due on something like that? Are we overreacting to how the shitty the season has, or has everything kind of been appropriate? I would say that the fan base is definitely spoiled, but at the same time, it would seem ridiculous to like suggest that people shouldn't care that their team is doing poorly. Like I, like I remember I was listening to effectively wild a week or two ago and they were kind of like criticizing the fact that Cardinals fans were booing during the angels game. It's like, well, haven't you like gone through like happy times? And it's like, Mm -hmm. like this is the same, not them specifically, but like the media likes to get very uh, upset about Cardinals fans being like kind of corny and cheering everything and being happy go lucky and then when the opposite thing happens, it also gets criticism. It's like people are going to get mad if the team isn't playing well and if the team seems mm. to be particularly dysfunctional. And like our Cardinals fans spoiled, absolutely. And but at the same time, like are people supposed to like apologize for the fact that their team is good? It just seems like a a weird ask of people. Yeah, I feel like not booing your team, like depending. I mean, it's all like I think like kind of based on circumstance but i used to like be like absolutely appalled when that would happen but like i like i get it especially when you're like going to you know you're 10 and 20 something to start the season like this wasn't like expected like a slow a slow start like this like the most comparable like shitty start we've had was the 73 squad which started off like 5 and 20 but they eventually got hot and I mean, they held the division for like from August to September before giving it up to the fucking Mets of all creatures. Like it's, you know, it's a bit of like being spoiled uh, to a degree. Um, You know, uh, I, you know, there's some moments of like venom that kind of like drive me uh, a little bit up the wall. Some of which we like to play into Ryan, especially with a a certain beloved uh, co-host and his relationship with Paul DeYoung. But, you know, I think everyone should just kind of chill a little bit. Um, 
obviously like be upset uh but like i don't know i mean i kind of like uh, attributed to like after the blues won their stanley cup like okay yeah if we you know if we take a nosedive over the course of a couple seasons you know i'm okay with that you know i've gotten this amount of excitement you know swoons like this happen and quite honestly i mean the front office's priorities don't lie within winning a championship it lies with you know expanding real estate and getting legalized and legalizing sports bet how do you feel ryan do you remember suffering when you were when you were a 90s child i don't i feel like people <laughs> like we said people our age have not really suffered You're cutting out, yeah. buddy. You're cutting out. Say it again. You haven't suffered. Ryan, we uh we lost you, man. Are you okay? I I think he's dead. Um what I remember, like the closest we've had in terms of suffrage was like obviously that 07 squad that, you know, uh missed the postseason finished under five hundred. But like for the previous season, they won the fucking World Series. Like the amount of like adversity we've faced is like, you know, um, a low to mid eighties seasons considered a major disappointment. Like there are, I mean, there's franchises that have gone through uh way worse. And I'm using this to bridge into because uh, this is where I knew uh, this is where I knew I really, really enjoyed your writing is uh, you talked about the Oakland athletics, man. No one's talking about the Oakland athletics. No fucking baseball writers have Evan Drillick is talking about the Oakland Athletics. I mean, even my version of talking about the Oakland Athletics, I'm not sure if I even mentioned a single player on the team whenever I did that, but maybe I mentioned that Alemis Diaz is their highest paid player, which seems like a real uh, real referendum on them. Mm-hmm. I, um, I feel bad for that team, and I kind of wish it was a little bit covered more because, I mean, I think it really kind of speaks to um, – you know, the, the decay we have in terms of like how like modern, like sports organizations are, are run in today's like a economic world. Like, I mean, when you kind of look at like, you know, the athletics tenure, especially under like John Fisher, which is trying to squeeze as much like public money out of, out of the city of Oakland and trying to get as much like public trust out of that only to now, you know, we have a binding or, you know, we have a, 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 I guess a binding, but an agreement with Las Vegas to buy land and build a stadium there. And now it's been reported that they're possibly, they're going to, they may be waffling on that and, and looking at other sites on it. It's, um, I don't know, man. Like, I, It kind of just doesn't I feel. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, it kind of just doesn't seem to me like, like Las Vegas particularly wants a team like, like yeah. the city of Las Vegas. Like there's this whole, and this is, you know, at this point, if, if the athletics move there, they'd be the third major pro team there. And uh, LeBron James has talked a lot about wanting to move an NBA team there as well. And it's like, do people actually want this this much? Like they're not like hurting for tourism in Las Vegas. They're doing just fine at bringing people in, but yeah, it, it seems kind of like silly to um, um, one. It'd have to be a dome. Yeah, uh, for because sure. Because playing out there, playing outside in there would just be absolute fucking suicide. Yeah, I like. Um, I re- I found like a I found like a piece about like with uh, climate change, is that the hotter Las Vegas becomes, the be one of the first cities, New Orleans probably next, to basically not not 
not even exist anymore. Like it'd be impossible for them to even function to have any kind of sporting franchise on it. Yeah. And like, I don't see why I don't even see why. I mean, the golden Knights are a success for, for Vegas, but the um, Raiders definitely are not because Vegas is basically, it's an assault on like your senses, you know, your sense of pride your vision, every single thing, like your ability to taste, it, it's an assault on your fucking brain. Um, like casinos that would book like huge, like stand-up performances or acts like that. It's not like, it's not like quite the same as if like a major like uh, performer came to like St. Louis to where, you know, um, the city doesn't shut down, but that is like a central focal point to it. It is part of many focal points throughout, um, throughout that city. And I think like even injecting like, you know, bringing three or four sports franchises into there, um, you know, covering all the major sports. I don't think it's going to get them the draw that it is, it's, you know, it's a tourist city. I mean, you know, the Raiders fans get outnumbered, you know, at their own home games. And I don't, you know, to me, it's just that, you know, the A's are just chasing public subsidy. They're just chasing public money is all they're doing with that. Yeah, and, and it always does kind of seem like they're just kind of waiting for Oakland to just straight up build them a stadium, which yeah, know, luckily doesn't seem like it's going to happen. So I have kind of a, a reputation among people for being like a very anti-Las Vegas person in general. Just mm -hmm. I, I, I've been ones I did not enjoy myself. It's like the least fun I've ever had in any major city, which is oh, a rare take, yeah, I know, but... Oh no, John, I share the same thing. Okay. Oh my God. No, let's, let's bitch about this. Like, uh, uh, last year I went to Vegas with me and my guys we were like, we're going to go party in Vegas. We're in our thirties. We got to live it up. Like we're in our twenties. One more time guy. You know what I'm talking about? Like, Hey, we're going to go, we're going to get fucking fresh out of college drunk is what we're going to do. We're going to do drugs. We're going to go to strip <laughs> clubs, you know? And the thing we messed up on first off, we're like, we're going to stay out there a week. You never say that's way too long. Yeah. Way too fucking long. Right. you got to be out there two days. Yeah. The third day, maybe for traveling. Even people so, I know who like it, there are like, you know, three days max. Our co-host Nick is from there and he's like, it's, it's an, it's an abomination. We went out there and I got sick from all the secondhand smoke. So like half of my trip out there is just inhaling secondhand cancer and just getting fucking ill to my stomach. And then Lo and behold, like miraculously get like well again. And then we're like, yeah, dude, let's go to a strip club. Let's spend thousands of bucks. Let's pay my favorite part because the whole thing is a scam, like everything else in this country. We paid like a concierge or, or not an escort. I, it's not, no women think. Uh, it's uh, that we paid for a limo. We yeah. paid for a limo. Okay, there we got into a limo. Good fix. We drank, we drank Trulies in a limo. Oh. This limo said, we are going to take you to a fine dining establishment, a Brazilian restaurant, and then we're going to take you to a club in the top of one of the casinos. And we got all dressed up. We pressed our pants, John. We wore jackets. We wore fine linens. We did our hair up. We put on the best cologne we had. We're like, we're going we're gonna to go out and we're going to own this town. And they, this fucking Brazilian restaurant, man, was in a mall. They took us to a mall, oh, God. a family mall with people in sweatpants, which sweatpants, I get it. The garb of the working class. I'm with you. We were way overdressed for that. And we paid over a thousand dollars for this experience. <laughs> yeah, it's not a not a cheap time there. 
No, I mean, I think you and I are on the same page that Las Vegas, much like Boston, uh, should be removed from the face of the earth. See, see I actually, see, I actually never spoke of again. I so in terms of like rooting against Boston sports, I'm 100% with you. I actually enjoyed my time in Boston, though the fact that they, mm-hmm. though the fact that happy hours are not legal in Boston is an abomination and oh, just preposterous. Gotta keep, but gotta keep the Irish in line is what they gotta do. Is what they is with them. I mean, my background's in history. I can see myself like enjoying Boston. Like my detestment of form is just the Boston Renaissance. Man, they were just that sports renaissance where every single one of their major sports teams captured a championship yeah. and were elite like and obviously an annoying fan base which you know cardinals fans are annoying you know every major fan base is i think the astros fan base is kind of given like everyone else a run for their money that is a that is a fan base that cannot take any ball busting and cannot let any team possess any form of joy whenever it comes at the slightest expense of their team. Yeah. Like, I, would, I would say at least with Houston though, it's not like their other sports teams are doing any good right now. The Rockets are horrible. The Texans are horrible. Oh, um, they're owned by the Texans are owned by like psychopaths, you know, and of course they had like Deshaun Watson too. So yeah, I mean, they're, yeah, I mean, they're at least rid of that part, but yeah, they're, they're at least, yeah. Yeah. But like Boston, they're just all good all the time. No, and like no. any and like any time like like I just kind of think about like I, I basically just think about like you know the Red Sox could go on like a four game losing streak that ends the day after the Celtics win a title and Bill Simmons will still be complaining about it on Twitter like that kind of <laughs> like just constant like like thirst to just be angry because that was their whole identity. It's so weird that like complaining about sports became a huge part of their identity because like obviously yes because obviously the Red Sox had a long stretch of not winning the world series i i would note that it was the third longest active stretch when it happened when it ended but mm-hmm. it's neither here nor there and obviously the patriots weren't very good prior to tom brady arriving but like the celtics have won more titles than any other team in the nba the bruins have been yes like they had a bit of a dry spell from like bobby Orr until 2011 but like they were consistently like pretty good for the most part it wasn't like and like again mm-hmm. the celtics have been unbelievable for other than like a brief stint in the nineties, they've been like a great team since like the fifties. They sported, I mean, what with the big three, like three or four hall of famers, essentially like yeah. they had, they had draw, they had pull like to, you know, when it comes to like this, like it's a propensity for conflict, right? It is like man being in love with its own misery to, to, to 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 be to be a to be a literate uh, to be a fucking literature nerd here like like I draw immense satisfaction at the expense of the Red Sox as I think any person with a lust for life should yes. and like last season last season when they were just treading over five hundred was like will they won't they and then they ended up giving up like eighty runs in the course of four games that was the happiest I've ever been John I was it was happy. I was happier than we won in 11. I was happier than when I was live uh, uh, during uh, uh, during the 20, 2012 NLDS. I was, it was happier than like 06 or 05 when pools ended Brad Lidge. Oh my God, that, that small stretch of just the Red Sox eating perpetual ass was, oh man, inject that into my veins. There's no heroin that would ever top that. No heroin. That is some grade A Texan black tar right there. So <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm happy we agree that um, 
uh, yeah, I, I'm happy we agree that Boston should be glassed off the face of the earth. Thank you for agreeing to that. So, uh, this, this is my words podcast, exactly. Yeah, so this podcast is definitely not monitored monitored by the CIA or, uh, or the CIA and or uh, the FBI in any 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 semblance. Though, but like back back to the Vegas thing though, like they can't. Yeah, they can't support a team, and no one should go there. No one should go yeah. there. Well, and like and like you too, too goddamn hot. Well, so in like, like besides my own like aesthetic dislike of it, like the one thing I enjoyed there was going to the sports books, which like I can drive across the river to Illinois now and go to those. So it's not like that yeah. big of a pull to me. But like besides the aesthetic thing, like like you mentioned, like like Las Vegas might not be inhabitable like with climate change in you know twenty years, and that's sort of the thing that drives me nuts when people you know try to say you know don't talk about like politics when you're talking about sports, but like that's a very real concern. Like that's a thing that absolutely should be on the radar. I, I understand if somebody doesn't want, like that's always kind of the philosophy that I have with my writing with STL bullpen is like, mm-hmm. you know, cause I started the blog in 28, in 2018, I wasn't going to like, you know, endorse candidates for like, you know, the midterms or whatever, but you know, if there was some sort of like tie in of like the political landscape to the sports world, you have to address that. Like whenever it was 2020, yeah. we were discussing, you know, the ethics or the safety of restarting baseball. Like, yeah, a lot of that's been politicized, but it's also like very central to baseball. And and the fact that people want to, you know, kind of like, you know, ignore the fact that Las, like Las Vegas has like very real, you know, climate issues with it. And, and you'd argue that about a lot of places and, you know, you know, what's the situation going to look like in, you know, Tampa or Miami or like any other place that's just like near water in, you know, the future. And that's the thing that people don't want to talk about. I know I'm being, you know, serious while having a very like remedial knowledge of how climate change actually works, but like actual scientists will tell you that this is something to worry about. Yeah. We want to come out and say that uh, what John is uh, suggesting is uh, most likely a hoax. It is a, it is something that is uh, just pondered about. Uh, don't worry about anything. Uh, pump more carbon emissions into the atmosphere. And, to, no, and we all know I, that we all know that to the extent that this is happening, it's being caused by wokeness. So it is definitely the woke mind virus. Let me tell you. Okay. If all these trans people would stay out of the goddamn bathroom, Maybe the sun wouldn't try and cook us all the time. I, um, no, I prescribe to that. In fact, I mean, that's kind of like our, I mean, our whole podcast is, is centered as being like a comedy podcast, but it's incredibly heavily political. Like to like, we're annoying left-wingers to that. Not even like liberal, just obnoxious, like communist to that aspect of it. And like, we, like I started, I have like a blog like you. I feel like we have like a pretty, a pretty similar arc in this because like you know i believe like when it when people refer to you know politics and sports should be separate it's completely naive because politics is involved in every single facet of our lives you know it is political when a team takes public money to build a stadium it is political when you know to draw it back to what's current here you know when we support the cardinals that is lining the pockets of the dewitts who donate hundreds and thousands of dollars a year to conservative causes and you know we're talking about i remember when you had uh uh uh, uh jackson or dodd uh, city of jackson 
the overturn of you know essentially Roe versus Wade. And to me, like the only people in the media sphere, and I studied this, uh, not studied this, but you know, I ignore or examine this is that you know you didn't have like hardly anyone out of Bali except for Alexa Dot say something. You didn't have hardly anyone in uh, the the journalist sphere. You know, they offered you know this is sad, you know this is a bummer, but I mean you know I give Jeff Jones credit. He did the work, pulled up like FEC filings from the DeWitts and seeing how much money they give to anti-abortionist candidates. You know, everything is interconnected in that aspect of it. And we're, this is just like just the exchange of commerce. This is just money exchanging hands. This ain't yeah, the aspect that, yeah, what if climate change gets so bad? I mean, you know, we have more thousand year floods. What happens like when it comes to like how we live in the Midwest? Will we be able to support like, all these sporting uh, sporting venues or even these leagues, if we have X amount of teams disappear because like their cities are uninhabitable. Like, I feel like, you know, that's, a, that's the thing that's kind of, uh, that does bug me a lot is that, you know, um, it's fine if people don't want to acknowledge it. You know what I mean? Like um, a, a good example, I would say, um, I love Kyle Reese. We've had him on here twice. Kyle never gets, uh, political with his twitter obviously yeah okay and because of that if um you know because kyle does that he doesn't open up the door to like that level of conflict if he were to do it because he's remained a constant on that when he's made a cons he's remained consistent with it and then what will happen every now and then you know whatever account you know it will be it could be in a, you know a right-wing thing or a left-wing thing you know jack flaherty is treated unfairly or you should get off Nolan or Goldie's ass. The coronavirus is fake. We just killed all those people for no good reason. They died of being woke. You know, in it, it, it all matters. Those pieces matter. Um, yeah, I guess maybe to keep like the politics thing, though, just kind of, you know, vibing with this one. I mean, you're seeing it now in the state of Missouri. I mean, we, Pat, you know, the, uh, uh, the Missouri Congressional House is seeking to, like essentially <laughs> eradicate uh, transgenderism in the state. Yeah. And they're doing this over, they're doing this over like 12 to 13 trans athletes who are, you know, high school athletes over the past like 13 fucking years. Like that's why this legislation exists. It's a culture war thing. And like all that kind of like goes into it. DeWitts donate to like po uh, political officials that back this shit. Like we're all somewhat, you know, no such thing as like, you know, uh, ethical consumption and all that horseshit yeah but like you know we're all we're all part of it and you know if we can't stop it i mean i think it's like totally appropriate to like point out our relationship with it and like how we're maybe not complacent but you know how we are part of it in some way how we're part of this like big community that's that kills itself from time to time so. yeah and like you said i don't think anyone's in your under any obligation to inject sort of political thought into things. And, you know, if you're writing like a game summary, it's, you know, you, you don't have to be like Nolan Arenado who cited faulty scientific data and his rationalization to not be vaccinated against COVID-19 was two for four today, or you don't have to do that. But the that would be a hilarious that, input though. <laughs> I thought I, Stu Styles put that on his like box score. <laughs> Like, oh, he had he had two. You know, he didn't get two of, but yeah. So yeah. Stu would write think, fuck the police at the bottom of it. <laughs> but 
But like there are times where I feel like if you're not examining like the broader, like global ramifications of things, then you just kind of aren't, uh, you know, paying attention to some extent. Like, so I, like one thing that I've always prided myself on with STL bullpen. So before I was with STL bullpen, I wrote for a few years at Viva Alberto's, which is, yes. which is, you know, broadly speaking, not a website that, that, that like, like pretty aggressively try to avoid politics. So I wrote a piece at one point advocate before the Cardinals eventually did it, but advocating for the Cardinals to have a pride night and kind of mm-hmm. having to get like, you know, permission from at the time Craig Edwards was the managing editor of the uh, of the website. And he, he basically was like, that sounds fine. I you know need to look over it to make sure that you're not just like, you know, yelling at specific people or whatever, which I wasn't. But mm-hmm. you know, and like you could argue that that was maybe a little bit like less involved with the actual like on the field product. But like one of the yeah. first big art, like one of the first big uh, articles that I had with STL bullpen was, you know, I wrote something about Dexter Fowler and kind of the reaction to, and this would have been in 2018 when he was having just an absolutely terrible season, but kind of pointing out is like, you know, the way we're talking about Dexter Fowler you know, we're basically saying that he's being lazy. We're saying, and we're like conjuring a lot of like negative stereotypes. Black stereotypes. Yeah. yeah, yeah that, yeah. But things that are not like, you know, founded anything. And if you want to say Dexter mm-hmm. Fowler is having a terrible season, which he was, by all means say it, like that's not the problem. But, you know, if you're going to start you know, questioning somebody's work ethic, you should at least be cognizant of, you know, what they're, which is why I kind of had a fun time whenever um, Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado had their um not playing because not playing in Toronto last year was because I actually had the art so what happened kind of a funny story but so I was um offline whenever the news broke of which players attested positive but I knew but it, or which players um weren't gonna be able to travel to Toronto so yeah. I basically had an article pre-written and it was like okay well once you know once it turns out, I don't even mention any names, but like kind of thinking, oh, maybe, you know, an Austin Romine type would be like the one person that tested positive or that I keep saying tested positive, but the one person who wasn't able to travel, I just insert that name in. And then when it ends up being like the two best players on the team, it takes on a whole new, um, <laughs> a whole new well, twist. Was, oh God. That was like, um, I, I remember that before that happened, we're like, it's fucking Michaelis. Like, all me and my guys were, yeah. were just like, it's my, I actually was gotta be, I actually felt really like weirdly happy for the people that it wasn't that kept getting like, cause I remember a lot of people would say like Brendan uh, yeah. Donovan. Oh yeah. I was like, yeah, he's like from the South. So I guess you're, but like just seeing guys who like, they, they were all these like rumors about and being like, okay, they're off the hook. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I, I swore it was going to be DeYoung. I swore it was going to be Michaelis. And then it came out as like Nolan and Goldie. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like, like what was it like prior a couple of weeks, like real Muto at that time too. It was like, yeah. no, I just don't, you know, I'm just going to do my own. I'm going to do my own research, which is watch fucking Joe Rogan, I guess. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to take, I'm going to take Ivermectin or whatever and go fucking kiss Aaron Rodgers on the lips. I'm like, okay, whatever, man. And then I, as soon as I like spent time like making fun of those guys, I'm like, oh shit, we have a series in Toronto. Yeah, I that was not. I, I'm like, I'm going to eat so much crow for as much shit I've been talking for like the last few weeks because of this. <laughs> well, that was the funny thing about the whole Tyler O'Neill saga with 
he was like the one person who said, I'm going to do my own research. And like, he actually did his own research. Like he saw yeah, like epidemiologists. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like he did way more research than I did. I just kind of went with the flow. I kind of felt like a jackass just kind of going with, uh, kind of following, you know, the, the general consensus, but he was like, I'm going to ask these questions. I'm going to, you know, speak to all these people and he did it and everything seemed to work out. And he's asking like see- a doctor about like the effects of the vaccine while he's doing like bicep curls and he was like mr o'neill can you please put down that dump i was like no man i got i gotta fucking do this i I keep in the mojo man so i keep in the zone dude i remember there was um so i if i remember correctly uh yadi was on the il when that series happened does that do you remember that or yes okay yeah because i remember every once in a while somebody be like well what if yadi is and it's like yeah, there's no there's no scenario where Yadi Molina is not going to do whatever it takes to avoid letting somebody else play catcher. Yeah, and that was kind of what why with Goldschmidt and Arenado, I was kind of just questioning their effort. And it's like, yeah, missing two games in the middle of July is not going to like hopefully be the death knell for this team. But I think it is fair to question, you know, how much they actually are caring about it. Yeah, I was so toxic and trolly with it. Be like, I hope we fucking miss the play. I hope we get swept and miss the playoffs by one game type of stuff. But like, not only like, not in the sense of like, I mean, I guess it's Schadenfreude, but like deeply, like you know, in a dark way at the expense and you know, somewhat in the guise of iron. I mean, it'd been funny. It would have been funny. It would be like, yo, your two best guys, your two. MVP runner-up MVP. <laughs> it, it would have been so. Uh, so with the Toronto series, one of the games, the game that they won in Toronto, yeah. I actually was at Bush Stadium when that happened. So they had a, a season ticket holder event. I'm not a season ticket holder with the Cardinals, but uh, my wife like handles the season ticket request for her work. So mm-hmm. we basically just got to go to the event for free, and nice. uh, so. It was a very strange situation. So they, uh, Andy Van Slyke talked for, for a while. So mm-hmm. they had like a Q&A with Mazalak. And like one of the first questions was like asking him a question about uh, Goldschmidt and Arenado. And he was very much tiptoeing around it, which I, I mean, I get it. I, I get why he's not able to. And there's probably like union related reasons that he wouldn't be able to like actually disparage them or anything like that. But then yeah. Andy Van Slyke came over later and it was just like, completely unprompted just talk about how proud he was of them for uh <laughs> for doing what was right for their family and there was applause but it was not nearly as unanimous of applause oh, i think i think he thought he was gonna get fucking like, nolan guess, said he wanted to have kids and then his wife had a kid like a month like later a couple months yeah. yeah i'm like what the fuck are you doing man <laughs> like get the shot i I tell any like it went like in the it, I guess it's irrelevant anymore, but like at the time of it, like the joke I ran with is like, yeah, there are like some unknown side effects with it. Like when I got the vaccine, it made my dick huge. And I'm like, you guys should definitely not want that, fellas. You don't want any of that nonsense creeping in. Yeah, I like the story it, I tell people oh, is that um is that the day after I got my uh second shot. I felt really kind of under the weather and felt like I was, you know, felt dehydrated, felt you know, not myself. I'm thinking that might have something to do with the like seven beers I drank that night, possibly related to it. <laughs> but you know, kind of scientific methods a little bit tricky to determine. I uh, when I got my booster, I got that and the flu shot simultaneously, and that was unwise. 
because it put me on my ass for 48 hours i was like oh my god i'm like what if i'm really gonna die from this and then they're gonna take my death and exploit it and get a whole bunch of other people killed i'm like you gotta hang on you have to hang on thomas so i am um, i guess like when it you know when it comes to like sporty uh, you know sports and like the political atmosphere of it especially in like especially in a game like baseball you know it's conservative dominated and like i've been doing research on a we us you know our our podcast has got you know this will be the 135th episode john and 134 of them are all of just you know dick jokes and me doing funny problematic voices whatever and everything like that but we also have one where we started a series about like world series winners and it's I'm not sure if you're a fan of like Dorktown or anything John Boyce oh, yeah. does, but you know, it's th- that spirit of it, you know, like I, before I'm not sure, like uh, if you've always been like um, uh, active on Twitter in the aspect of like, just, you know, I'm a Cardinals Twitter guy. Right. Yeah. Like before I even, you know, I've only been interacting with Cardinals Twitter for a year prior to that. It was just the, the bloody dune sand is fucking Arrakis. And we were just, and I was just, we were, I was just engaging in the marketplace of ideas with fascists and bigots, just political, just toxic cesspool political Twitter on it. And like the things I would, that really interests me then, yeah, of course, you know, I obviously love sports, uh, but like, you know, it was essay content, whether it be, you know, a podcast, whether it be like any form of multimedia. And the thing that really got me hooked was like Dorktown and SB Nation's work. And so, you know, with, with our pod like we want to move something toward like that and like the past like past few months i've been like deeply working on this massive project like part two of it and it's gonna you know i was griping about it before we like started the recording on it but it's gonna be like huge and something that's like kind of interesting to me with how like conservative like baseball is is that for the longest time like it was essentially kind of like belied by like left-wing politics i mean you look at like you look at the mlbpa and the strides it took to essentially win you know free agency for players to win autonomy to you know get you know know, uh you look at kurt flood uh flood versus coon to eventually you know uh catfish hunter winning free agency to you know uh dave mcnally and andy messersmith like all that like just i guess i wouldn't say like blood sweat and tears but i mean there are sacrifices that like players made up to this point to develop like consciousness of like who they are and their labor rights and the importance of solidarity and then something happens it feels like in baseball's arc and i don't know if it's like the late 80s under reagan or if it's like the 94 strike but like baseball players don't embody that quite like they used to with uh uh with their beliefs on it or maybe they were just you know left wing on this one thing but much like andy van slyke the older they got they're like ah fuck dark brandon bring him on you know that don't touch my guns so it's you know it's it's kind of like a weird it's kind of like a weird historical dichotomy with that yeah it's just you know go ahead go ahead well you mentioned the late 80s in terms of just like general like reagan but i think one of the like topics of baseball history like i know a little bit about it but i feel like i need to dig deeper at some point it's kind of like one of the underreported things is just like the collusion scandals of yeah free agency and the fact that 
I mean, I don't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head, but the fact that they were like, you know, two players in an off season switching teams via free agency because mm-hmm. owners and, you know, I, I think that that's, ref- and I think that that's sort of the precipitating factor of the 94 strike is players kind of realizing like, if we don't take action, if we don't hold out, then like the owners are going to screw us over. And like, while there have been shady things that the owners have done since then, there hasn't been anything like quite to that level. And I feel like the unfortunate thing is I feel like it's going to take some sort of like actual, like major thing to kind of like wake players up. And like, on one hand, I don't want them to have to go through collusion because that's obviously a, like a really gross thing that happened. But at the same time, you know, there are still like, you know, smaller level infractions that are happening all the time. And, you know, because players are still, you know, making good money, they're not going to be particularly inclined to, you know, want to strike. You know, on some level, though, I get it. And, you know, if you're a very fringy major league player, yeah, you make $700,000 a year. That sounds amazing. But if you only do that for, you know, a year, you know, 700000 is not going to be enough to live on for the rest of your life. So you're going to want to strike while the iron's hot. Yeah, and that's and, kind of where the issue is with like, you know, labor solidarity. Yeah. And keep in mind, too, like even if you, you know, you called up for like, uh, you know, you know, you get like 10 days in the bigs, you only get that salary for those 10 days you're up there. You don't get like even the full amount on it. Some guys, you know, they'll go in between, uh, you know, the minors for four or five seasons before finally accruing, you know, two years worth of like major league service time. And I feel like the union took took a large step when they incorporated the minor leagues and unionized them. Yeah. And it's been that I was over the over the moon on that, that uh, Tony Clark, my dude. Hell yeah. Keep keep rocking there. Uh, I thought that was in a, the not only the right thing to do, but in, an incredible act of solidarity to show that, uh, you know, I, I think about. So in this research I've done, like, um, you know, I'm writing about like the 1981 strike and Rick Hummel had asked Bruce Souter what he thought of the strike because Souter had just signed the largest uh, contract for a relief pitcher at the time. He signed for like three years, 950,000 annual annual average. Um, And like Souter didn't mince. He was like, you know, guys in 72 that struck for like 17 days. They did that for me. I got to do this for the guys coming up. And it's like, and, you know, whether, you know, people look at, uh, you know, labor, you know, if anyone takes any, anything out of, a, a, out of this rant, like your boss doesn't give a fuck about you. Let's just start with that. Like you, the people who own the business you work for, they don't care about you. Definitely don't like to show that level of like, I think like awareness and foresight is, was incredible. You know, it's like indicative of like suitors part and players at the time, but also like, you know, to, you know, bring it back to what we have in modern day for major, the players union to say, you know, we all came from this as well. And their conditions are terrible. Their conditions have been unfair, whether, you know, we've seen, we've, we've seen the meals that have been, you know, handed out by like the A's organization. We've seen the shitty stipends that have been handed out by Springfield and Memphis to their players for them to actually say, you know, we all came from this and we got to do it for the guy behind this. I mean, that was, you know, that was the most hopeful thing that I think that's like that I can remember occurring, like in terms of labor for baseball and like honestly the last 15, 20 years to my knowledge. 
Yeah, I think the really positive trend is that things are being built up kind of from the ground up in terms of like who's getting the benefits because like, yeah. you know, grand scheme of things, like however much money Shohei Otani makes in free agency, like it kind of doesn't matter to me. Like he's going to be yeah. extraordinarily wealthy and like good for him, but I'm not going to sweat whether he makes, you know, 500 million or 550 million or whatever. Like that extra money is mm-hmm. not going to matter that much to him and it doesn't matter to me. Like the fact that, you know, players who are in the minor leagues are no longer at a point where they're like, you know, barely able to afford sticking around. And also just like purely from a fan perspective, it's going to improve the quality of the sport because, you know, guys who are, you know, 24 years old and they're wanting to start a family aren't going to have to retire from baseball because they need to get a job that can actually pay them better. Like if they're in a position where they actually feel comfortable and are able to, you know, exist within this within the sport while making you know obviously guys who are in the minor leagues aren't going to make you know life-changing amounts of money and like ultimately i get that and that's fine but like if they're able to make enough money to survive like that's really kind of the important thing like i would much rather like the floor of like minor leaguers i'd rather make i'd rather every minor league player make a living wage than sweat how much you know the top free agents are making because you know, the top free agents are, are probably going to be fine. I obviously don't want like collusion yeah. or anything, but, you know, you know, as it stands right now, I'm not too worried about the best players in the sport eventually making, you know, huge amounts of money. Yeah. That was the thing that like bothered me with that, like Zach Gallen, like foul territory interview wasn't so much of like Cardinal philosophy. I'm like, yeah, none of that surprised me. It was that they wanted to, him to come down to Florida and work out and stretch out and, be like you're not going to make the team we just want you down here and do it all for free because they don't pay they didn't they won't pay minor leaguers for like off-season workouts i'm like okay yeah zach's totally in the right there like don't fucking do anything for free it's organization worth billions of dollars come on they can sell they can sell a couple they can raise the price of arby's mid mid roast beast by a penny to cover that come on they can do that they can do that um as we kind of near the end you know let's we can bring it back to like the current season um you know i do you have do you have what's your hottest take you know or bold prediction here you know mine at the start of the season is uh is a cop out because i said drew verhagen is going to stick with this team this whole year dylan carlson's going to win his spot back in the outfield and paul de young's going to stay on this big league roster and i feel like that wasn't that bold i'm in search of something braver john fleming i'm in search yeah. you know revive a renaissance of the human spirit right here so I'm I'm not quite there yet, but I'm trying to talk myself into Paul DeYoung gets his option year picked up for next year. I'm really I'm oh. right on the precipice of believing oh. it because he is like play like if he plays at this level, like that's like a player worth keeping around as as much as I didn't expect it entering the season. Yeah, I feel like at this point my takes are all kind of um like moderate please win 85 games please please don't please don't finish below 500 yeah well the thing that's the thing that's tricky about that is like early, usually early on in the season I'm the guy that's like saying let's just you know calm down they're you're kind of going yeah. through a rut that happens but now at this point looking at how many games back they are not so much of the pirates because I don't really think the pirates are a credible threat but like before the season, if you'd asked me if I thought the Cardinals were better than the Brewers and by how much, I probably would have said they were like five games better or so. And like, mm-hmm. they've already forfeited that. Like that's already, that's gone. <laughs> and like granted the Cardinals, yeah. you know, had a 
probably a slightly tougher schedule than people wanted to admit at the beginning of the season, but they were still like getting swept by like the angels who are like an okay team, but in theory, nearly being swept by the tigers too. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, at this point, you know, I'm just kind of hoping for, I I just want the season to like be interesting. Like I I don't Mm -hmm. want it to be at a point like, cause that's sort of the weird thing about the Cardinals. So uh, in two, so 2006 and 2011, obviously they won the World Series. So that was the year before I went to college and the year after I got done with college. And then during mm-hmm. college, I was just like preoccupied with other things. So like I was paying attention to the Cardinals. It wasn't like I was, you know, cheating on them with some other organization. But, you know, mm-hmm. I, it just kind of and like basically since then, you know, they've been competitive. And, you know, yeah. even years where they didn't make the playoffs, like I'm trying to think back now, like 2016 they entered the final game of the season with a chance to make the playoffs. I remember going to that game and being there for it. And 27. Yeah, and the Giants bounced them because the Giants finished. They had the tiebreaker. They swept the Dodgers, yeah. We were, what was it, like 0-8, 0-9 in games to get us 10 games over uh, 500 is what I remember with that season. But sorry, continue, continue. And then, like, even in 2017, which was kind of the worst of those years, you know, they still were in comp, they still were competitive up until like three games left in the season, 2018. Yeah. They got eliminated on the Saturday and then they had ah. one meaningless game. Yeah. And then obviously that was, uh, it was against the Cubs. One, and that 83 win team, we got off to a torrid start with that one. We started like three and nine, got like swept by the Yankees. And then that was, that was fucking rally cat. If I remember, Oh God. And then we like had like that eight game win streak with like the Royals and then, you know, kind of le- leveled out with that. Like, um, I don't like you like tough, you know, tough breaks like this happen. And, and like, we've seen this like recently and usually we kind of think well like June and May, but like historically April's always been like our weakest month through the history of this franchise. And like, I was like, Oh yeah. Like we'll wait it out. You know, we ended April, like what, like 10 and 15. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's rough. But like, you know, we got up or sorry, we ended April 10 and 19. Sorry. My brain stopped working. Um, but like, I'm like, okay, you know, that's pretty bad, but like, let's see where we're at after this homestand and we go like one and five yeah. on that. Like, I don't, there's been like the calls for like Marmal or any kind of like front office to get canned. And honest, I honestly think like Mo is like safe to has incredible job security on this one. But, you know, are you, you know, is your level of concern now with these early season woes? Do you think it's going to cost maybe Ollie his job on that? I think it could. I don't think it's necessarily because of the lack of success on the field as much as like the way they're going about the lack of success. The fact that he mm-hmm. does seem to have a chip on his shoulder, the, like I think about the whole uh, incident in the uh, in spring training with uh, God, I'm blanking on the name of the umpire now. Um, CB Buckner, CB Buckner yeah. yeah. As or, a uh, as a uh, Misha high school uh, baseball ump, I do back the blue, Mister Fleming. So do not uh, do not disparage the badge, John. Do not disparage. Umpires are the reason why we show up to the game. <laughs> well, unironically, I am kind of getting at a point where, like, the the uh, civilian was um, talking back a little too much. So. <laughs> but, like, he does seem to be yeah. a little bit affected by the fact that, like, I think that saying that, like, oh, you didn't play the game, which, you know, while not literally true, he played the minors, but, like, you know, it is kind of a dick move at the same time. It does seem like he and, you know, I think Mike Schilt before him kind of were affected by this idea of like, I have to prove myself extra hard, mm-hmm. which if that motivates somebody to try 
or to succeed, that's a good thing. But if it's just motivating somebody to, you know, be mad and like, you know, get in fights with umpires all the time, that's okay. like a problem. Let me get your gauge on this because I've been kind of like toying with this. Do you think the way he talks about players in the press so far, do you think that is a form of good transparency or do you feel it's a detriment to the clubhouse? I feel, I feel like I would go detriment because I'm really not sure what the point of having the good transparency would be. Like, I remember that was a criticism that uh, Schilt would get a lot. And I think Matheny before him, like, I had a lot of criticisms of, like, the way Mike Matheny managed. But, like, speaking positively about your players in the press is just kind of, like, the sensible thing to do. Like, even if you're lying, yeah. like, you're just, you know, trying to, you know, being like a manager on a very granular level of like, I want to manage these egos and make people feel better about themselves. And that's a reasonable thing to do. Mm -hmm. Like even if you're dishonest. uh, Yeah. Like I remember, I wouldn't even say it was like really throwing like Dakota Hudson under the bus. Cause I think like the frustration was there and like, I'm definitely not a Dakota Hudson fan. So I'm biased, obviously. Sure. But like, I did not, you know, obviously the Tyler O'Neill thing and like I check, I'm like, hey, you know, we're all pissed off about this. So like I'm kind of uncomfortable by it, but let's see how O'Neill responds. And O'Neill posts like a 700, a sub 700 OPS afterwards. Now he's on the IL. And I was yeah. greatly, you know, with Dylan Carlson, who did like everything the, fr- uh, the, or- the front office and management wanted him to do in the offseason. And it's like, yeah, you're just going to kind of be relegated as the fourth outfielder on this. And I guess to rope it back to Ollie's like job security, like my, you know, if you had asked me, you know, when we were nine and 13, I'm like, yeah, he's totally fine. And I think I still kind of like believe this obviously, but like, I think the only way like he loses his gig is hostile clubhouse or 95 loss season, you know, 90 to 90, you know, 90 plus loss season. I think even if we finish you know, like let's say 79 and 83, I think he keeps his job another year on that. Yeah. And I'm kind of wondering at this point, like what the clubhouse is going to look like in a couple of years. Cause like mm-hmm. that Paul Goldschmidt contract, it's coming up pretty soon. Like he's a free agent after next year. Well, we're picking up that 12 and a half million dollar option for uh, Paul DeYoung quite obviously by the end well, of this year. He well, is. <laughs> well, well, sure. <laughs> We're shipping Tommy Edmund somewhere. We got to make room for Paulie D's nuts. <laughs> well, the, the Paul Young thing, they could just see what they did with Jaime Garcia, which is that they just pick up the option and just immediately trade him for like, they didn't get much back. They got something mm-hmm. back. Yeah. I, um, I don't know. Like, uh, I'm still trying to like, even like process, like, you know, you know, you know, with Schilt's departure on that, like if, you know, how Schilt would be with this, you know, to bring it back, like with Ollie with a chip on his shoulder. I mean, he takes over obviously a position that, you, you know, he, he, he assumed under like controversial circumstance. And I agree. I mean, I, you know, in the sense that, you know, how, um, you know, how, how he, he's not only like very aggressive in terms of how he manages, how he addresses like the press on that, is definitely, I would say, something to prove, right? He, he The chip on the shoulder we're talking about here. Yeah. He's got something to prove to that, you know, he's here in the show and he's here to stay. Yeah, and that's kind of, um, it's almost like the opposite of 
opposite problem of Matheny where like Mike Matheny had like the sense of sort of entitlement in this sense of like, you know, I, I belong here. I'm this proven like, you know, major league man. And yeah, you know, his successors have been just trying to just constantly, you know, prove their belonging. And then like, you know, Tony LaRusso before them, you know, he had that sort of ego, but also he had a, a resume that was yeah. more befitting of the, the ego than Matheny's. I think we're overthinking it. What we need, we don't even need, the managers are overthinking, the front office is overthinking. What we need is what is is what Matheny had. We need to get a racist bully. We need Bud Norris back on this team. We need we need someone like that to be cruel to younger players. That's that's the it factor, John. That's the thing we're missing, okay? We caught Michaelis's wife sharing anti-trans kid stuff. No, 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 no. We need you to be needlessly cruel to Cabrera, or, or Gallegos or Hicks again. We need a bully Jordan Hicks. It's the only way this yeah. team returns back to form. <laughs> well, I think you need to bully the even younger guys. So at this point, Jordan Hicks is like a veteran of sorts. You need to like, yeah, yeah, get somebody to really dig in against. Um, you know, once Walker, jo- you know yeah. Jordan, once Jordan Walker comes back up, just bullying him, which I'm uh, immediately going to retract now. That I think about how that could actually go, <laughs> but. Um, Bud Norris has been hired as a, a special cons- a special coach for the team, as a motivational coach for uh, for the St. Louis Cardinals. Like, oh, Jesus Christ, he's going to give them wedgies. <laughs> it's so weird that I kind of forget about Bud Norris as a Cardinal. He's such an is, asshole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which was, it was a weird thing because, like, he was such a, like, disliked player, you know, from his time at the Astros just because, and, like, I always thought that it was a little bit overstated with him, but, like, he did have, like, pretty good numbers against the Cardinals. And then he comes out and was really good for the first couple of months of 2018, I think it was. Yeah, because it was the year Matheny got fired. But then, like, once the stuff about his, like, bullying of Jordan Hicks comes out, it's like, what a, what a jerk. Like, what's he doing? What are we doing this for? <laughs> what the for? fuck are you doing, dude? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was a, that was a really weird, um, like, month that was like- or so. That was Hicks' rookie season. He threw like 60 or 70 innings and like high leverage innings too. Like it yeah. obviously never do it to anyone. Obviously no one should, you, you know, that, that what Norris did is just is type of shit you would expect from like a high school senior to treat like a, like a high school freshman, you know? Yeah. But like, like this is a guy who's going out and playing every day. Like what the fuck are you doing, bud? Like, come on, man. Like that. I mean, I guess it's like the punctuation point. Or, uh, to or sorry, the exclamation point to like Mike Matheny's like firing that season, that terrible season, because you know, they also had like the inner, you know, the Colton Wong being being pretty adamant about like his status with the team. We had Norris, we had like reports that you know, Matheny he had a, he had a swear jar and he had like lost control of the team, like he wouldn't talk to guys, he couldn't even like converse with like Dexter Fowler, and then. Oh shit. I mean, I guess like us bringing that up. I mean, I guess that was the last, like, I mean, we had mentioned like earlier in this app, uh, you know, like, can you remember like things being this dysfunctional? I'm like, yeah, I guess like four or five years ago. Yeah. They were at least, they weren't losing as badly at that point. So I guess that makes it a little bit nicer. Yeah. Maybe I'm also being a little bit um, nostalgic for like, you know, Matt Carpenter salsa vibes, but. Oh, I got that salsa. That salsa was fucking fire. I don't think I ever tried it, actually. 
they have it. I live down here in Cape, which I was going to say Viva Alberto's. I think Jason Hill. Yeah, he lives around. Jason Hill's a pastor. Yeah, he pastors a church down here. Yeah, I've often wanted there. to like reach out and be like, Jason, come on. Like we live in the same town. I'm like, then again, he can never like advertise it because I'm like his church be like, oh, Jason, we'll check out this interview you did. And then they just literally hear him. You know, it's Jesus talking to the devil in this in the desert. It's what it would be like. Yeah, he would be polite about it, but it would definitely have a, an interesting <laughs> vibe to it. I'm like Jason. We'll interview it. We'll we'll do this in the church, and I'll be on my best behavior. <laughs> but like, um, it, it's the salsa was good, is what it is. They they loaded it up down here in Schnooks. I remember buying like five jugs of that stuff, and my ex at the time was like, "We don't have any room for this in the fridge." I'm like, "We're gonna make room. We don't need milk. We don't need water." We don't need meat. What we need is the salsa in our relationship, in our life. And honestly, I mean, the, I honestly think we broke up because we didn't have that salsa anymore. That is, you know, that's the that's the good way. That's the good way to to wrap this up, right? We all need a little salsa in our life, correct? Yeah, I mean, salsa is one of the like four things that I actually know how to make well in the world. So I can't bring myself to um, oh purchasing salsa. What's uh what's your ingredient? I'll cut this and then I'll make a tasty video out of it. What do you got? You got a secret recipe? Um, I don't remember the exact recipe. I do know that the last time um mm -hmm. so, I, I get drunk when I make it too. It's fine. So <laughs> so so a few months ago, my wife had some people over and I made the salsa kind of for the gathering. She was hosting like a baby shower, and people were asking me what the recipe was, and I was gonna just like tell them what the recipe was and be like, Oh, I'll like send it to you. And she was like, no, they have to send us a recipe first. You can't just give these things away. <laughs> I thought was a little harsh. But... Yeah. No, yeah, no, we're, you know, it's capitalism, right? You know, you gotta, there's no mutual yeah. sharing of these types of things. There's the, the exchange, you know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Um, I think a really good food processor is the one thing that I'll, uh, I'll note. It, it's, I, it's a pretty thin it's a pretty uh thin salsa it's not not like oh, okay. a very chunky one i'm not anti-chunky ones this one just happens to be pretty thin do uh re uh john fleming recreates the uh the matt carpenter salsa that's the next stl bullpen he just he just <laughs> become a tasty a tasty side at that point <laughs> i am kind of i am kind of like and and now the things are turning around, I might change, but I was kind of thinking like, what am I going to write about all summer if they're just like god awful? Like the last thing I wrote on the website was just like, hey, here's a bunch of things you can do in St. Louis that aren't watching the Cardinals. I saw that. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember reading the brewery one because I work up in, well, we're so short staff. I won't be doing it this year, but like our St. Louis market be short staff. I would work up there about like six months out of the year. And like I saw the brewery, I'm like, oh my God. I mean, like Ryan and I, whenever we go to a game, we hit up one of those breweries. And like the one I found was like second shift off near the hill. Fucking love that one. Great choice. I took like a food tour on the hill. So I'm like, oh God, this is bringing back some really good nostalgia, some gelato, some Charlie G's. Just, in, you know, keep writing stuff like that. It's, it's, mm, just, it's just don't Saint write Lewis about baseball. Yeah. Yeah, fuck baseball. It's, it's it. uh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, you know, it's 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 not here or there. I mean, you know, go yeah. go watch a soccer game. Well, like, I, St. Louis is an underappreciated city. Well, I've mentioned this before to people, but like, I'm not sure that baseball is like my favorite sport. Like, I, I like it. I, I I think, but like, I kind of just like a sports fan in general. Baseball is just the one I like to write about and like yeah. communicate about the most because, like, you know, to some extent, like 
like I was a huge Rams fan whenever they were in town, but like I had no real analysis to it. It was just like that guy throws the ball good. I was usually saying about that about the other team, but like <laughs> that's pretty much what I have. Yeah, like my my favorite sport to participate in is hockey. Like I'm a yeah. blues fan, diehard blues fan because I fucking love hockey games. But like my interaction with like baseball stems from like, you know, it's it's like a like my past relationship with my dad. It was like the one thing we could bond over. And then, you know, my family like tore itself apart. But like that was the thing like that, you know, that was the first thing I felt like I could relate to with my pops on was the sport. Cause you know, he'd I go, I see him over, he had, you know, go to my grandma's house over in Pagedale, and then we would go get a game, we'd get with the family. You know, I remember going to a game where it was like one of Willie McGee's like last games and he got like a bunt single and got pinch hit for and the guy who pinch or pinch ran for and the pinch runner like scored like a game winning run. I think like Eli Marrero drove him in. And I remember that, that that's like a fond first memory of like having that like that bonding moment. It's like the beauty of sports, right? It, you know, it's witnessing live theater, completely improv live theater. of yeah. just like you know, of, of people out there, like the most immense, te- like the upper echelon, the 0.01% of like modern day athletes are gladiators. And like, it was a good thing to share with it. And that's always, you know, baseball holds that special place inside my heart. But if someone was, you know, if a person woke up or, you know, some aliens came down, it's like, take me to this, you know, or equivalent of a sporting event. I'm never taking them to a fucking baseball game. We're yeah. going to go watch hockey. We're going to go watch hockey. We're going to slam beers and we're going to watch a hockey game. Well, it kind of just depends what kind of vibe you want. Cause like, and I've referenced my wife a couple of times, but like my wife uh, not only is not from St. Louis and is not a Cardinals fan, she doesn't really care about baseball at all. So oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's doing it right. But like, yeah. but like, she'll still want to go to a baseball game and just kind of like hang out and drink outside. Like, that's fun. That's cool. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, oh yeah, if we're going to go to a game this summer, I feel like we're going to go to like uh, the ballpark village. They have like the all-inclusive areas that are uh, a terrible angle as far as actually watching the game. But that's not why you go to those. You go to those. No, yeah, no. Just keep loading, you know, just try to do like a beer and inning, like while you're up there, get your money's worth. Oh God, before we finish, like. Right, I'm going. I'm coming up a uh, uh, Wednesday to go watch the 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 finale with the Brewers. Okay, me and Ryan are going, and uh, we have we him and I have gone to probably about 15 games total, and we're in our 30s. We have careers and everything, and every single time before the game, we park at this really creepy Hungarian church a block or two away. And then we go to Broadway Oyster Bar where we get a beer to walk. And every time, John, the last like eight or nine times, we right as soon as we get to the gate, we're like, we're not going to go hard, are we? And like, no, we're not. And every single time we end up going way too hard and, and becoming gremlins. Like to bring back Dexter Fowler, we nearly got kicked out of the Cardinals club because uh, uh, Ryan was screaming something about Dexter Fowler. He's like, Fowler would have caught that. And an usher came over. He's like, there are kids around. You can't be saying the F word. And like, we're just, I'm like, Fowler? He's like, I can't say Fowler? I can't say Fowler? I'm like, yeah. And I was like, did you just look at me? He's like, did you say fuck? I'm like, I haven't said it yet. I want to now. Like, it's like we're just, we're, just, we're, it's gremlins. We, every time we go to a baseball game, it's midnight and then we're being fed. That's all it is. We're like, we went to John Lester's first start. And we're like, we're not going to, we're going to behave. And we go up into the Cardinals, the Budweiser Terrace commune with our comrades. 
and it's not even a third innings over. We have six tall boys in us. We're like, what oh boy. the fuck are we doing? We got to stay away from this. And I'm like, it's been it's been a year and a half, man. We can go see a game now. I think I'm ready. I'm going to come up there early. We're going to take an Uber this time, all right? We're going to be fine. Yeah, the, the best experience is going to games um, where you have some sort of, like, built-in reason where you're able to drink. So, like, uh, the one time I've ever sat in green seats for a Cardinals game, so, like, not only is it free food and drink, but they bring it to you. It was in 2021, and they were down 10 nothing. I think, in like the second inning. So at that point, we are just like, you know, we're, we're just here. We're just here for a good, yeah. We're Like, we're not here trying to, like, watch a baseball game. And, like, one of the guys I was with, they were playing the Twins, and one of the guys I was with uh, just kept, like, yelling the name of whatever player came up, just, like, trying to get his attention. <laughs> and he finally, and, like, early on, and, like, in the early parts, he was like trying to get the attention of like Byron Buxton or like some like actual notable player. And then eventually when it came to like lesser players, who probably weren't used to getting yelled at. He was getting their attention. So, and then, then we, rules. and then we just, you know, pounded another many drinks and uh, did not drive home for <laughs> hopefully obvious very reasons. Resp- very responsible. Even though your past work suggests you're a proponent of dangerous drunk driving. <laughs> well, I was just feeling lazy. <laughs> Uh, folks, John Fleming of STL Bullpen. John, uh, do you have like a bold take? Do you have what you know? What's your out? What's your what? What's your outlook for the rest of the season? What's uh, you know? What's what's your parting words you want to give Cardinal Nation to the worst fans and baseball podcast listeners out there? What do you what do you want to part with? Uh, my parting words are: if it gets into the summer and the Cardinals are still way back, and you're not enjoying watching games. Just don't. It's fine. <laughs> it, it doesn't make you less of a fan. And if it does make you less of a fan, who cares? There's no, it's not a positive thing. Like if you've ever seen the movie Big Fan, it's a, a, a testament to why being a big fan of sports is stupid and why your life will be lesser because of it. And you can still want the Cardinals to do well, but don't make it your whole personality. Hell yeah. Folks, go check out STL Bullpen and read John's stuff. John, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. This has been amazing. Thank you for having me.